0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And thank you for joining us on the Live Unreal with Glover U podcast, where every week Jeff Glover and his coaches will dive deep into questions that you are asking. They understand the challenges you're facing on a day-to-day basis and still work every day on the front lines of real estate with Jeff and his team closing over a thousand homes per year. In today's episode, Kate Simon, our head coach, continues and concludes our two-part series on the top traits of our coaching clients and top producing real estate agents. She's the perfect person to speak about this, as she spent countless hours coaching real estate agents and observing the habits and activities that separate average agents from great ones. Now, let's hear from Jeff and Kate. Traits and behaviors of our top coaching
1: clients, they have a strong ability to flip the switch at the door. A strong ability to flip the switch at the door. Now, Matt Sutter went into this a little bit yesterday. And he shared that we have this internal belief here at Glover U that it doesn't matter what's happening out there. It doesn't matter what happened back there. When you're here, you're on. No excuses. Now, I know Matt shared that it's a challenging week for him and his family. I told him this morning... You would have never known, and that was some of the best performance I've ever seen from you yesterday. Talk about flipping the switch. But my favorite example of this, of course, comes from Jeff, yours truly. So this goes back maybe a couple years now. Jeff, Taylor, and I were getting ready for one of our casual Saturday meetings. I don't remember what was on the agenda at the time, but as you guys are familiar, once a month, every so often, we'll, we'll block off the calendar and we'll punch through our, our agenda. So we're getting ready to get started for the day, and, and I didn't think anybody else was coming. Nobody was in the office, so it was a little strange that somebody had walked into the office and they're standing at the front desk. They look pretty professional, they're dressed nice, and they have a little briefcase, and I, and I think, huh, who's that? So Jeff goes out and talks to this guy and they have, you know, a pleasant exchange. They shake hands, they exchange some papers and he comes in and he sits down and he's like, all right, let's get started. And it was, I said, well, who was that? And he said, oh, it was just an attorney and another lawsuit. I said, another lawsuit? He said, yeah, it's fine, let's go. <laughs> and now, of course, yes, I'm, I'm sure it was frivolous. I'm sure everything is fine. But my, the main takeaway there was... If you got served a lawsuit today, how quickly would you be able to stop thinking about that and pivot to something else? I mean, that's like elite level flipping the switch. Some might call it denial. (laughs) But we call it flipping the switch, right? But I'll never forget that story about his ability to manage his emotions, manage his focus, and manage his time regardless of who wants it. Do you think a lot of people want Jeff's time and attention? Do you think a lot of people are tugging on his shirt for a got a minute? He has an extreme ability to stay focused and flip the switch in all scenarios to be standing up here today to pour into all of us. That was number seven. Number eight. Number eight is they have a close relationship with rejection. one of the top traits and qualities of our best coaching clients, they have a close relationship with rejection or failure. So what do we mean by that? They're not afraid to try something in case they fail. They're not afraid to look dumb. They're not afraid to trip and fall. They're not afraid to mess up because they see those scenarios as giving them feedback that they wouldn't otherwise have. And they know that simply trying is going to set them apart from the people who decided they'd rather stay comfortable. So if you wanna be really, if you wanna be good, you can stay in your comfort zone. But if you wanna be great, you wanna be excellent, at whatever, it doesn't have to be real estate. You have to accept the fact that you're gonna fail and you're gonna fail often. And so I'll ask you, what is your relationship to failure? Is it, you know, sirens go off, you shut down, you never want to do anything again? Or is it this is great feedback that I'm going to learn and I'm going to apply to the next thing that I do? So there was a recent example of this that I observed in the media. And I don't know if you guys ever heard, uh, heard this, but for those who are NBA fans, which by the way, I am not, but the story caught my attention. Um, who heard about the Kevin Durant tweet to the 13-year-old? Kevin Durant, NBA basketball player. So here's what happened. A 13-year-old took some shot in basketball. You can tell I'm a sports fan. I have no idea what what happened. And I don't know if they tagged Kevin Durant or how he even saw it, but the Kevin Durant commented on this kid's photo and said, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And that was pretty much everybody's response. They're like, dude, it's a kid. What are you doing? And he caught a lot of heat for showing up that way. To you know, uh, you know, you can argue somebody who looks up to him, et cetera, et cetera. And while I'm not saying that was maybe the way to handle it, uh, somebody retweeted that and said, "He's just a kid, champ." And Kevin Durant responded and said, "It's about habits, man. It's about habits." And so Kevin clearly has a close relationship with failure. In fact, he got to where he is today from people telling him, you missed that shot, do this. That sucked, try again. He became a pro by embracing failure. And while I can't climb inside his head, maybe he thought the shot really sucked, I'm sure he did. Yet he shared that with the kid Well, he didn't really give him any feedback. I'm sure he could have done that. So that he can get better and say, you got some work to do, right? Now, again, I don't know anything about his intention, but what I can say is his response showed his relationship to failure. He only wins games because he's failed this amount of time, right? And so, again, hope the kid's okay, but it was a really great lesson of, Teaching somebody, what does it mean to actually be successful, to be a champion, to be a professional? What kind of feedback does that take? And what should our relationship be with failure? So I'll ask you guys, and of course it's rhetorical, what is your relationship with failure? Do you internalize it and shut down? Or do you lean in and say, yes, I now have the path of what I need to improve? Okay? For our coaching clients, we talk about, you know, plugging up holes in the boat. For the most part, they're all wildly successful agents, and it's less about telling them what more they can do, and it's oftentimes about helping them plug up the holes, the inefficiencies, or the failures, if you will, that are keeping them stuck. So I'll encourage you guys, when you go over your notes today, to ask yourself, what is my relationship with failure? Better yet, When's the last time you failed at something? If you want to know how growth-minded you are and how much you're exposing yourself to situations that make you grow, ask yourself the last time you failed. And if you can't remember, you're not exposing yourself to those situations enough. Next point here, and this is point number nine. They do the work, I put in quotation marks, outside of their calls. A top habit and trait of our most successful clients is they do the work outside of the calls. Of course I'm talking about the homework assignments, whatever their coach gives them. That's the bare minimum. But what I'm really talking about is they hold space for themselves and for their business every single week. They don't hang up the coaching call, you know, one foot in, one foot out the door, on the way to the appointment while they're eating chicken nuggets and say, okay, I'll talk to you next week, Kate. They give themselves time to re-listen to the call, do the homework assignment, send it to your coach, ask some questions, digest it, dissect it, so we can move forward next week. A coach has 30 minutes a week with you. Does anyone know how many hours there are in a week? 156-ish, something like that? 164? I don't think that's right. It's like, yeah, it's something like that. 168, 158? The point I'm trying to make, so 168. Thanks, Sean. The point I'm trying to make is, is it fair to expect coaching to change your world in 30 minutes a week when you have responsibility for 168 of them? So I'll ask you this if you've ever been in a coaching relationship if you've ever been in a training room how much time are you willing to spend outside of your coaching relationship working on yourself and doing that work and by the way sometimes that work is real estate related sometimes that work is not real estate related in fact our best coaching clients they don't just have a coach they have a coach they have a personal trainer they might have a therapist They have a financial guide. They have a spiritual mentor. They have an expert in every area of their life. Because if they're hungry to get better here, they know that their other habits need to change to facilitate that as well. So I'll ask you this. What work are you committed to doing outside of your coaching sessions? Outside of the seminar? What work are you committed to doing to implement all of the great notes you've wrote down so far. Next, number 10. This is a great trait, not just of coaching clients, but leadership everywhere, is responsibility. They take total and complete responsibility for everything going on in their world. Now, is that reasonable? Is it likely that everything going on out there is actually your fault? No, I mean, not necessarily. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, we have to get out of the mindset that life is happening to us, or something's happening to us, or somebody's doing something to us, and we have to get really honest about the reality that we are a co-participant in our existence. We are writing what's happening in our life by simply participating in it. And so the quickest way to shift us from a victim mindset to, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh my gosh, Kate, you can't believe what happened to me, is to take ownership for your role in that, whether it seems fair or not. Take ownership for everything you can so you can take back your power. To move forward, this isn't about blame. This isn't about sitting in blame and sulking for being right or wrong. This has nothing to do with blame. What I'm talking about is reclaiming your power that you need to take responsibility for your life. Right? And so, a top skill of our top coaching clients is they have a unique ability to look for where they can take responsibility in situations that might not even have anything to do with them. But here's the good news. When you're able to take more of your fair share of responsibility, you're able to be empowered to actually change it. When you can't take responsibility, you can't change it. So you're going to stay stuck. So ask yourself right now, where in your life do you feel stuck? Where in your life... Do you feel like something's happening to you? Somebody's doing something to you. Somebody wronged you. Somebody showed up or did something unfair. We all have a thing. Identify what that is. My challenge to you will be this. Once you get over the ego, because yes, it's there, and yes, you know, there's a purpose for it, I want you to be sincere and ask yourself what you can take responsibility for in that interaction. What can you take responsibility for in that thing that happened to you? That by doing so, you feel empowered to take action and move in a different direction. This is not about blame. This is not about good, bad, right, or wrong. It's about empowering you to take back control of what you feel like on a daily basis. That trait right there is really important, responsibility. They take total and complete responsibility. Number 11, and this one's highly underrated. Number 11 of the top traits and skills of our best coaching clients. They have a strong support network for their goals. They have a strong support network for their goals. You know, this always breaks my heart to see because I have arguably one of the most supportive spouses ever, next to Wing Wing, of course, <laughs> next, <laughs> next to Jess Spencer's husband. I have probably one of the most supportive husbands out there. Um, and I can always tell when I'm going over a needs analysis with a client and a coach, when I'm reading through it, I can always tell if their spouse is in it. In fact, I added that question to the needs analysis because I need to know what battles you might be facing at home when I only have 30 minutes a week from you. If I have 30 minutes a week from you and you go home and you sleep next to somebody who's bringing you down or says you can't do it, we got a bigger problem. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but you have to look around you and audit your circle and ask yourself, do these people want me to win? Now that's a hard conversation to have, and I'm not about to broach the subject of what to do if they're not there. But you can't ignore that having support of the people who mean the most to you is imperative for you to get to the next level. So if you don't have that, you need to start there and ask yourself, how can I get buy-in from the people who are most important to me? How can I get them on my team for where I wanna go? That's a hard question to ask, and I don't have an answer for everybody. But what I can say is this. If you might be in a position where you're struggling from buy-in from your spouse for what you want to do, there's there's a a little side note I'll I'll share with you on that. But you have to include them in that process and tell them why they should be excited about it. What is it going to do for them? You know, my husband and I, we went through this a couple years ago. A couple of you may know this, but my husband owns and ran a large transportation company in, um, in a county in Michigan. And when we bought the company, they were running five days a week, I think. And then virtually overnight, it was a FedEx company. Virtually overnight, they decided to go from five days a week to seven days a week, and oh my gosh, everybody started buying things because of the pandemic, and we needed more trucks, we needed more drivers, everything, like, I walked into the the fulfillment center in Oak Park once, and it was like boxes to the ceiling and conveyor belts, and it was an absolute zoo. I don't think I saw my husband for like four months at one period in time. Until we brought on our general manager, who obviously helped him get back a little bit more work-life balance. But he was up by 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and he was up until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, making sure the packages were on the trucks so that they could go out. And so he would always come home, and he would always tell me, okay, we did this, we had this win today, okay, we did this, we had this win today. And I mean, I was, I was like pretty pissed off. I hadn't seen my husband in a while. I was very salty and he, he was always up in the loft doing work. And I just remember telling him one day, I said, Andrew, you have to tell me how this relates to us. You have to give me something to hold on to because otherwise I just see my husband working 16 hours a day and that doesn't work for me. You have to tell me what this is for. And so, of course, we took a nice trip to Hawaii before the pandemic shut down. And I said, okay, I'm happy now. I'm I'm happy, right? But it's a great example that you might be working your butt off. And you might be working 15, 16 hours a day. And in your mind, it's for your family. But have you asked your family what's most important to them? Have you asked them what they need from you? And can you draw a straight line between your goals And what's most important to the family? Jess Spencer is another great example of this. When when Jess was coaching with us, or she still is, but with me, she said, my goal this year is to retire my husband. I want to retire him. I don't want him working anymore. I don't want him to have to worry. My goal is to retire my husband. Now, I can imagine, how did he feel about that? He He was totally fine with it. Can you imagine? Totally fine with it. So when Jess is putting in the work at 7 o'clock on a Saturday, can you imagine, I'm sure you can imagine that he's pretty excited about that because he sees that work and the end result that it's going to do for the family. So if you don't have the support of the people you care about the most, I'll start by saying, have you included them into why you're doing it? Have you drawn a connection between what they care about and what you care about? Now, the other thing I'll share with you on that is, is there a slight chance that they don't support you because they've heard the song and dance before? How many times have you come home from a conference and said, honey, this time's going to be different. I'm finally committed to my goals. And you see that coaching payment hit. And then you sleep in another day, and then, oh my gosh, you're not working on the weekends or the evenings, and by month three, what are we doing here? So understand, if you have a partner who showed up for you enthusiastically for the commitments that you made, and you let them down, it's on you to fix it. Honey. I know I've broken a promise to you in the past and I know I said I would do X and this is what happened. What I'm asking is this, what can I do to show you that I'm serious and help get your support this time around? Have that conversation. If you have a spouse or a partner who might be less excited about jumping on to the next thing you're excited about, if we may have let them down in the past, that conversation needs to happen. Because if you want your life to move forward with them, you need them on your side. And if you owe them an apology for not showing up the way that you said you were going to, you have to have that conversation with them. Build a strong support network. One of the examples I gave Justin Ford a couple years ago, I said, Justin, for every area of your life, I want you to find a key mentor. For finance, find a mentor. For health, find a mentor. For your spirituality, find a mentor. I want you building, and this is what I told him, I want you building a board of directors for your life. Build a board of directors for your life. One of the lessons I learned growing up in real estate and in leadership in general is that just because something's great at one thing does not give them authority over all of the areas of your life. So look for people who are living a life the way that you'd like to live. If you want a a great marriage, who in your world has a great marriage? If you want to be healthy and run a marathon, who in your world is healthy and can run a marathon? Make sure you're building a support network of people who are experts and trusted in the areas that you'd like expertise and go to them as often as you can until you rise to their level. Next here, and we're almost done. I see the clock's ticking down for a minute and a half. Jeff's probably getting antsy back there. We got two or three more points. Number 12, They become growth focused rather than results focused. They become growth focused rather than results focused. Now this one's always a little bit confusing for our audience because people say, well of course we want the results. And by the way, I agree. But results without work are not duplicatable okay I'm more interested in the habits and the behaviors that led to the success than I am the success right and here's a perfect example of that have you ever had a week of busyness as Matt Sutter calls it not business busyness where you're busy you're running around you show 15 houses you don't pick up the phone once and call a prospect but by gosh when your head hits the pillow at night you're exhausted and you feel like you worked and then we ask the question of okay great what did you do to move your business forward this week? And they say nothing. What do you think their world is gonna look like in 30 days? Okay, this is why, and Jeff always jokes about this, we don't celebrate closings. Not to take away from closings, but whenever somebody says, all right, Jeff, I got a closing today, he says, congrats on the work you already did 45 days ago. <laughs> I swear, that's really what he says to agents. Justin Ford and I, we used to have an accountability. And uh, he would would always be excited to tell me, Kate, I set an appointment. I said, okay, great, Justin. Did you finish your contacts? (sighs) No. And then he'd go back and he'd pick up the phone again. And so we had a conversation on why is that so important? And I said, Justin, because I want you doing the habits of a champion regardless of whether you take a listing or not. This is naturally gonna happen over here when you master this, right? That's no different than going into the gym and picking up a barbell and saying, where are my biceps? No, you have to do the work over and over and over again and then the biceps come as a natural result, right, Gino? So you have to be growth-focused and ask yourself, what metrics am I truly following in order to be successful? Make sure that they're focused on a process and on becoming great and not results-oriented. The next point here, I have two more, this one and then one more. Point number 13. I wrote down an acceptance of hard work. An acceptance of hard work. What do I mean by that? Rather than looking for the shortcut, the easy way, the easy button, they have accepted that it's going to be hard. They have accepted that hard work is the only way forward to their goals. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because you could get lucky and fall, you know, trip and fall and hit the lottery and be at the top. But if you don't learn the skills necessary to grow into the person who earned that opportunity, you will not keep it. You might get lucky and and, and hit a great account and sell 100 houses from that builder that year. But if you don't do the work to master what it means to become that agent who can generate for 100 listings a year, you will not do it the next year. That's called luck, not hard work. So our best clients out there have accepted that hard work is the way to where they want to go. Last point for you guys today, and then I'll let Jeff come back up here. The last point I'd like to share for our top coaching clients, our top agents, the best of the best in the business, they've all been sitting where you're sitting. They've all been thinking what you're thinking. They've all written down what we've shared. And then they had to make a decision. They had to make a decision. A decision to stop living the same year over and over again. A decision to stop saying that knowing what to do but not even following through on it is enough. A decision to say that this is the last year that they're not going to hit their goals and they're going to settle for less. They made a decision to hire us. So what I'm asking you to do today is to make that decision for yourself. Decide you're done with good enough and decide it's time for you to do the work necessary with the guidance so you can live your unreal life. The things you wrote down yesterday with Matt, your unreal life, the life so amazing, it's almost unbelievable. It's waiting for you. We're waiting for you. But you, you have to decide.
0: Thank you for taking your time to join Jeff and Kate today on the live unreal with Glover you podcast to get started on having an unreal business. Take the real estate self-assessment after you complete the assessment, a member of Glover you will get on a call with you to create an action plan to improve your score. Go to www.gloveru.com self. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe search for live unreal with Glover you on iTunes, Podbean, or Spotify and subscribe today. Until next time.